and he just wins striking exchanges literally by having that dog in him. Welcome into Tapping Vegas. We are one of the most profitable MMA betting podcasts out there. We're talking UFC 296 today. Bobby, another good week, and you are killing it on the year, dude. Thank you. Yes, last week uh, I was 2-2. Two and two. You were 3-1 and one for that card that we had last weekend. And then overall, counting, uh, this will be our fourth Tapping Vegas show. Got my start doing the articles on betterandgreen.com. Overall, since the summer of this year, since I've been doing MMA predictions and betting, 38 correct predictions, 24 incorrect, with a lot of uh, some good plus on your submission KO decisions out there. So we've been killing it. Very profitable at 38 and 24 overall MMA record. That's including some plus 450, plus 350 guys. Get on the wagon while we're while we're getting started. You ready to talk Patty Pimblett, Tony Ferguson? My favorite fighter, Patty Pimblett. <laughs> His favorite fighter is really Tony Ferguson, <laughs> and he hates Patty. Tony Ferguson <laughs> was up there. I love Patty the Batty. I'm the president of the fan club. Yeah, okay. I said that he has a good chin, but he eats too many shots. Like. I, I can't tell you how many times I saw this guy just getting abused, his chin getting abused, man. And I, I don't I don't love his his defense, but he's able to get these subs from these unconventional positions. And I'm sure you're gonna hit on this too. Tony Ferguson, six game or six game, six fight losing streak. That's that's a big losing streak in a professional combat sports. He's got great head movement and he's a good striker. I'm it's going to be Patty. It's just going to be a question of how I don't see this going. It might go the full distance. It might be a decision. Patty is a huge favorite. Uh Patty might get the sub. That's the way I'm leaning. What do you think, Bobby? 100% the way I'm leaning. Uh, yeah, this is unfortunately another fight where the odds, minus 340 right now for Patty Pimblett, plus Ooh. 270 for uh, for Tony. The, this is one of those things where it's like you got to retire while you're at the top. And mm. it's like, so here's the thing with Tony. So I've asked myself before I started watching the tape for this fight, what has happened to Tony to cause a guy who is like, you know, the underground king of the lightweight division for years, crazy win streak. I think it's like 11 or 12 fight win streak. He was on the division perennial guy who everybody was begging to get the title shot over Connor, you know, always wanted the matchups with Khabib to happen, but it just wasn't meant to be for an MMA fan. No more needs to be said about that. My heart's broken. It can't take it. Uh, so I was like, what happened to Tony Ferguson? What what happened? And we all know in 2020 he fought Justin Gaethje, and that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. But why? So I was asking myself why. I thought, was it because he started to move away from the things that he was successful at? What made Tony Ferguson Tony? What made us like him? What made him win fights? In Minari roles, uh, you know, blades and shades, crazy elbows from unconventional places, and Wearing, you know, sunglasses indoors that you trip over a camera cable and tear your ACL. Like, oh. 
this was Tony Ferguson, you know, some just crazy unorthodox takedowns, just always coming forward, relentless pressure, things like that, you know, good cardio, tough, durable guy, like just absolutely eating punishment, out toughing guys. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what happened? Did that just go away? I don't think it did. I don't think it went away, but what I think happened and I think I might know why Tony Ferguson is losing is because those scenes like Eminari rolls, those, you know, crazy elbows from unorthodox positions, that necess that isn't necessarily something that you have to be an athletic freak for. Tony was never that guy that you look at and you just go, wow, he's such an athlete. You know, he's so jacked. He's so explosive. Those are never his attributes, but maybe those things rely on a speed element that he just doesn't have anymore mm. because – I don't think he's a case of he abandoned what made him successful. I just think the game caught up to him because I was watching his Bobby Green fight where he just got dominated by Bobby Green in his most recent fight, and he was doing Imanari roles. He was trying to get those takedowns. He was trying all those things that made Tony Ferguson successful and vintage Tony Ferguson, and it was just so sad and even worse because it just no longer worked. And at this point in his career – if going back to what worked in the beginning and going to the drawing board doesn't work, then he's a bit too old. Like you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Let's just say that it's too late in his career to start making radical changes to turn it around, especially after losing six fights. I know a lot of people are going on and on about him training with David Goggins, Groggins, whatever. I'm not into that whole Navy SEAL shit. David Goggins, but anyway, yeah. Everybody's like, oh, my God, he's training with David Goggins. Like, he's so beast. Like, he was the first guy to complete Hell Week. I don't care. Like, it was never his problem. Nobody ever looked at Tony Ferguson and said, oh, he gives up in fights. Oh, he doesn't have cardio. Like, he's not learning any new techniques. He just ran on a treadmill until he puked and lunged across the football field. Like, it's kind of irrelevant. So, that's not going to help him. And I just think that he's been passed up. Unfortunately, like he overextends all the time on his, on his punches, on his takedowns. He's constantly out of place. He's constantly off. And like, you know, in his fight with Nate Diaz, his corner was begging him to not overextend and get caught off balance. Patty could capitalize in those moments. Tony's uppercut that he caught Justin Gaethje with it's always dangerous, but it's predictable at this point. Uh, Patty Pimblett in his fight with Jordan Levitt. Before you nerds out there start saying that I'm trying to say that Jordan Levitt and Tony Ferguson are the same person, no, go back to your mom's basement. I'm just going to say <laughs> Jordan Levitt reminds me a little bit of Tony Ferguson. What I mean by that is Jordan Levitt, like in his fight with Patty Pimblett, at one point was just like walking awkwardly towards Patty Pimblett as Patty was disengaging and trying to circle around. And he threw like the laziest ass teep kick into a sloppy takedown attempt I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I instantly thought that's Tony Ferguson in this fight. Tony Ferguson is capable of doing the same lazy elbow teep, whatever kick or punch you want to, <clears throat> you want to think about into a sloppy takedown attempt just like Jordan Levitt, and then that's how Patty Pimblett eventually got in a position where he was grappling with Jordan Levitt because Jordan Levitt wanted to grapple, 
And that's how he got subbed by Patty Pimblett. And I just think the same thing's going to happen to Tony. He's going to just be out of place like he always is with like very lazy shots, either wrestling shots, takedowns or punches or kicks or whatever. And then he's just going to get taken down by Patty. Patty's going to counter. He's actually a pretty good judo guy. And he knows a lot of trips and a lot of judo throws that he had success with against Jordan Levitt. It's going to be a mostly grappling match, and Patty's going to sub him. It's just it's it's sad, but it is what it is. You know, it's like old Yeller. Sometimes the dog's got to be put down, man. Dude, that Levitt fight when he got subbed and instantly hugged Patty. I'm like, that was the softest thing I think I've ever seen. It was, man. Like, I don't know why Jordan Levitt thinks he's the superior grappler. He got subbed by Patty. I called that he would get subbed by Chase Hooper because he instantly made it a grapple fest match. And even though his striking was garbage, so was Hooper's. He at least had an advantage there. And I got a lot of people, like, we got people paid out on the plus 350 for the Hooper sub. Like, even Ray Charles saw that coming. Like, (laughs) dude, come on now. Oh, yeah, that was uh, what kept me from going 4-0 that day. I picked freaking Levitt, dude. I'm so mad I picked Levitt. I mean, I don't blame you, man, because Chase Hooper wasn't doing well, but it's just Jordan Levitt is like a younger, crappier Tony Ferguson that just didn't have success. And it's like I'm not even using MMA math. It's just there's a lot of similarities in how Levitt fought Pimblett that I think remind me of how Tony Ferguson at this current point in time, is going to fight Patty Pimblett. And if Patty Pimblett is, you know, known as the guy that I've seen on tape for capitalizing on your lazy punches, your lazy kicks, your lazy takedowns, he's going to hit a trip. If you try to clinch him up against the cage, he's going to be stronger than Tony. He's going to be bigger than Tony. He cuts a lot of weight. He gets really heavy in the offseason. He's going to manhandle Tony. He's going to manhandle him. And he's a better grappler at this point in time because Tony Ferguson doesn't really use his grappling like he used to anymore because he's constantly not in a good position off crappy takedowns. Like he's the one trying to initiate it and it just gets nowhere. So if Patty's initiating it on him, Patty's going to slice through him. Dude, yes, he is. I agree. You want to get to maybe my favorite fight? You want to take Rockmanov? Yeah, Shavkat Rachmanov versus Steven Thompson. This is going to be a really good fight. This is an interesting one. Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, I like his aggression. I like his clinch work. Thompson won't be as strong or skilled to reverse uh, Shavkat, like Cowboy Oliveira had some success being able to reverse Shavkat when Shavkat was initiating the clinch against the cage. Uh, Shavkat has good takedown defense, even when Cowboy missed weight. Cowboy Oliveira... Uh, was already a big guy for that welterweight division. He missed weight for that fight with Shavkat. Uh, when you miss weight and you don't have to cut as much, you're a little bit more energetic than the other guy. You have a definite advantage, you know, not being nearly as drained, and especially in the grappling department. Uh, for sure, you have that added advantage. But it didn't really work out in his favor against Shavkat, so that was pretty impressive. Um might be able to catch some kicks uh, for takedowns like uh, he did to Neil Magny. Uh, Shavkat might have success against Stephen Thompson with that. The only problem is Neil Magny was a little lazy with his body kicks, which allowed Shavkat to catch those. I don't know 
that Stephen Thompson, even at his 40 years of age, I believe he is, I don't think he's going to be nearly as lazy with his kicks. Every kick he throws has bad intentions. They're fast. They're well-timed. They're precision kicks. So maybe Shavkat would be able to catch them. I just don't think it would be as easy as he had of a time against Neil Magny's kicks. Uh, if Steven is lazy and he gets taken down, he's going to lose the round. If he gets taken down in any way, shape, form, or fashion, he's going to lose the round. That is like the blueprint on beating Steven Thompson for grapplers or you know anybody who has any type of clinch work, anything where they can just either stall up against the fence with them, wall install, take them down, hold them, point fight that way, whatever the blueprint's out there. If you get Steven Thompson down, just control them. You're golden and you'll win the round. You just have to keep doing that. Gets a little dicey if you're a striker uh, and you're trying to outpoint Steven Thompson. You're going to have a bad time, like South Park would say. Uh, I am concerned by how Shavkat takes kicks. I'm very concerned about that. And what I mean is Neil Magny and Oliveira came very close on some connections, on some kicks that if they connected, I'd be a little bit concerned about Shavkat's chin and whether or not he would be uh, knocked out. Uh, Steven Thompson would never threaten leg entanglements like Neil Magny did. Neil Magny had success when uh, facing Shavkat's grappling and Shavkat's clinch work and how Shavkat was taking him down off the fence. Uh, Neil Magny was able to try to get back up to his feet by threatening leg entanglements. That's not going to be Steven Thompson. He's not going to have that same tool. Uh, Shavkat's very good at backing his opponents to the fence, so I do definitely like that uh, for his chances of success against Steven Thompson. Steven Thompson, we know, he, we know who he is at this point. He's a karate boxer. He's going to kick you. He's going to punch you. He wants to keep you at range. He wants to point fight you and he doesn't like pressure. So his keys are going to be keeping Shavkat at range. Uh, that's going to be hard because Shavkat's an aggressive pressure fighter. And so once he's backed up, he's kind of he's kind of stuck. He kind of has trouble disengaging and getting off that fence before he's taken down. So all that to say, even though Shavkat is the favorite at – a minus 520, and Steven Thompson's a plus 390. This is a closer fight than some of the other fights we've talked about, but I'm still going Shavkat, and I like Shavkat by I'll – I'll be cheeky and say a sub. I like Shavkat by a sub because I think that if he does clinch up against the fence with Steven Thompson, he's going to initiate takedowns. I don't think he's going to wall install. Or even if he does try to wall install, he was able to get that rear naked finish over uh, Jeff Neal from the clinch position up against the cage. I think he could do that to Stephen Thompson. I really do. So I like Shavkat by sub on that. So it sucks. But once again, Stephen Thompson, he's 40, a lot of miles, legend of the game like Tony. But, you know, young up-and-comer, I think it's just time. I think it's his time, and it's just not Stephen Thompson's. Steven Thompson, he's 11 years older. He's not a good wrestler. And he specializes in your soccer mom kickboxing. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Come into a jazzercise instructor near you. <laughs> Dude, Shavkat, he's got lengthy limbs, killer kicks, mix of KO power with grappling. Uh, he's 
17 and 0 finished every fight finished every fight with either a knockout or a sub i had a look up he is trained in sambo which i was not familiar with oh you an apology i wasn't really familiar with your game so i had to look it up um the best part about the video is that it was dubbed in english so these, <laughs> these sambo guys i don't know what country i was watching but thank god for the voiceover um it looks like a more fluid roman greco wrestling like a lot of throws but you can use your legs in this um like the movement is non-stop and they're getting submissions from not the typical like mma ones that we see like they're getting them from different angles a lot of it is just because the movement you're moving so much you try to catch them as they're falling catch them as they're moving and so you end up in you know different positions than when you're working to an arm bar you're working to something i was very impressed with what i watched shavkat i've been impressed watching his tape too so i just think he's trained and he's going to translate way better in mma in general but especially in this fight I mean, all you're doing, all he, his defensive strategy is block the kicks. I don't think that the punches are going to be what takes out Shafkat. And I think he's going to be a right. sub. I think he's tapping him. And I think he taps him in the first. Ooh, that's cheeky with the first. Uh, see, I think I think Steven Thompson's a little bit more durable. I'd probably give it like, it's a three-round fight. I'd say he at least makes it to the second. You know, Shafkat is good, but. Yeah, I don't know if he'd be able to do that. If he does that to Wonder Boy in the first, then yeah, I'm already on the train. But uh, choo choo, baby, I'd be the conductor. If bro, he does it in the first by sub. Bro, sub three minutes. All right, hey, under, under like three it. minutes. Call your shot, pimp. I like it. <laughs> you want to take a Pantoja? Yeah, Pantoja. So we have Alexandre Pantoja versus Brandon Raw Dog Royval. Yes, that is indeed his nickname is Raw Dog. I actually really like this fight. This is one. I mean, all five Me of these too. fights are bangers from start to finish. But this is a uh, this is one of mine that I'm actually looking forward to, probably the most, if not second most. Men's flyweight is finally exciting again. Uh, Demetrius Johnson really was king of that division for a while, and then. You know, once he left, it was kind of almost at the point where the UFC wanted to give it the boot. I'm glad it's got some new life revitalized into it because this is a banger, man. So I have to shout out Jack Slack for this. Uh, he's the guy that got me uh, motivated to do MMA content, and I'm uh, one of his Patreon boys. So I relied on him for some of this here. So some credits to Jack Slack. Hope you're watching this, buddy. Love you, man. Anyway, so Alexandre Pantoja. He's always off balance and out of position a lot on punches, just like Tony Ferguson. And Jack actually pretty much hit this nail on the head when he said he fights like a wine mom at their kid's soccer game. <laughs> like that is how bad his striking is. His striking, I'll be honest, is absolutely atrocious. His right hand is his moneymaker. And yes, he does have a lot of power in that right hand. And in his three fights with Brandon Moreno, he was able to rock and just kind of rattle Moreno with that right hand in a way that not even Figueredo was able to do. And we already know from last weekend just how hard of a puncher Figueredo is and the power that he possesses. And for Pantoja to be able to rock Moreno in a way that even Figgy couldn't was pretty impressive. 
the problem is watching that latest Brandon Moreno fight when they fought for the third time and Pantoja won the title. I haven't seen his striking evolve beyond that wine mom boxing. He has a terrible habit of being so reliant on that right hand that he will double it up while like his hands are down, just like throw it back to back, which is like a huge no, no in striking. If you have your hands down, just always constantly just so horribly out of position running forward with his chin in the air. It's just, every single like textbook fundamental of striking that you're told like day one in the gym, he just viciously violates it and he just wins striking exchanges literally by having that dog in him. That's the only (laughs) way he wins striking exchanges is he just has that dog in him that the other guy does it because it's not technique where he really shines though. And I wish he would use it more, and I have optimism based off the Moreno fight. I just need him to go to it more often and early than he did in that latest Moreno fight. This is grappling is absolutely exceptional grappling. It really is. Uh, It's basically like he has this Lamborghini, and he just keeps it in the garage. And he's like, eh, I just bring it out like whenever I feel like it. It's like, dude, you need to be driving this thing all the time. And if he uses his grappling like he did in the first fight with Brandon Royval, because this is a rematch and he keeps with that same uh, game plan, essentially, I think he's going to have a lot of success because this is going to be kind of like that Tony Ferguson, Patty Pimblett fight. It's going to be a story of old habits die hard, you know, just like Tony Ferguson has six, uh, has some uh, really glaring weaknesses and being able to adapt and to be in and to be able to evolve. Brandon Roy Val still has some of those old habits that caused him to lose this first fight with Alexandre Pantoja. The first and foremost being Roy Val has a hard time not giving up his back. He gives up his back to try to get up quite a bit. He tries to get to a position where he tries, if an opponent has his back, to shake them off but he's just not going to have success if he tries that again against Pantoja. And this is how Pantoja subbed them in their first fight because Pantoja is really good at leg rides. He's really good at crab rides. He's really good at controlling the hips. He's really good at using the clinch to be able to like just pull guys down into positions where he can take their back and he can alternate between that back control and that leg drag to keep the opponent in his lap in like a seatbelt type position until he's ready to start looking for subs. Uh, he used the back body lock to sweep Roy Val's leg and achieve that back control position in the first fight. He's also really good at using a, uh, and I'm not going to call it the stupid weeb name that they teach us in the gym. Where We speak English here. This is America. <laughs> so... <laughs> I know it is single leg X. I'm not going to call it the Ashigatami or whatever we're calling it <laughs> nowadays in your McDojo. I just like single leg X. He uses a variation of that that he's really good at that John Danaher came up with where it's like mutual Ashi, where Pantoja is really good at using that to threaten subs to get back to his feet if he wants to bail out on the sub or if he wants to bail out on the grappling. And you know, keep wine box, wine mom boxing uh, his opponent. He's really good at that. So I just hope Pantoja leans on that grappling a little bit more early, a little bit more often. 
He was the one that initiated it in the first Roy Val fight, which is how he won by a rear naked choke using that superior grappling. Old habits die hard. Roy Val knows that he's going to try to grapple. But when you've trained and you have that muscle memory of so many years of like, you know, you default to your training basically when you're faced with adversity. If your instinct is to give up your back and try to shake the guy off and you're just panicked or, you know, tired or whatever, you're going to go back to that. And Pantoja is definitely going to take advantage. He's one of the best back takers in the UFC. I just worry if he gets into firefights and situations like he did in his last fight with Moreno and he tries to stay standing longer than he needs to because I was screaming at the TV a lot that last fight for him to try to initiate some clinch, initiate a takedown, just bail out on the striking because I hope his striking's improved, but once again, old habits die hard. I don't think he's made that much improvement between that Moreno fight and now to where he's not going to be out there fighting like your drunk drunk uncle at the barbecue. So I like Pantoja. I really like him by sub again. I think it's also the mental advantage he has of already knowing that he's beat Roy Val before. He's taken Roy Val serious. Roy Val's already talking about he wants the next shot against the champ. I feel like he's kind of overlooking Pantoja. And you can make the, the argument – you know, Roy Val has improved, but guess what? Pantoja's improved also. They've had the same amount of time to get better. So I like Pantoja and I would like it myself. Dude, we are we're like lockstep today. I agree. When I was watching Pantoja, relentless forward pressure, but he leads he leaves himself open for counters. Like the every time he punches, I just like I close my eyes. Like I'm, I'm so worried about him getting knocked out. Um, yeah, he he will box, and like you said, he will box too much. He is a fantastic wrestler. He needs to get his takedowns, uh, fast hands and feet. He's a quick mover. I I say that's universal speed. So he's not just quick movement side to side. His hands are fast. His feet are fast. His brain's fast. He's got that universal speed. Brandon Royval. KO power everywhere. Slippery looks for subs from all angles. This is this is gonna. I think this is a fight I'm probably looking forward to the most. I could see it going either way. I would. I worry about a Roy Val knockout. I mean, we saw him. He he clocked Pantoja a couple times in that first round. Um, I think Pantoja still. I mean, I think he was like scored ten nine. So I think he was winning those anyways. But yeah. man, I just I worry about him getting caught. I, I I worry about Roy Val, but like you said, I if Pinto is going to go in with a game plan of I need to get this guy down. If I get this guy down, I can win. Uh, he does he does not need to stand. If he tries standing and going toe to toe, I mean that that's a recipe. That's how he loses. So he needs to use his wrestling. And Roy Val is going to try to keep it at a distance, try to keep him keep keep him off the mat. Pentoha by sub though. I think I think he gets him. He gets him down and taps him again. Probably something very very similar. Right for sure. Yeah, minus one eighty for Pantoja. Roy Val plus one forty five. At least it's close. Yeah. Uh, should be closer, uh, but I like that. That's definitely one of your best values on this card. I'm glad that uh, people still are a little hesitant on Pantoja, but yeah. Also the name factor. 
Pintosha just right. sounds like a like he just sounds like a better uh, champion than Roy Val. I mean, his nickname's the Cannibal, which does give Raw Dog a little bit of run for the money, you know. <laughs> yeah, Raw Dog's about to be taking back shots. <laughs> right, exactly. Let's talk Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington. This is going to be the fight of the night. Oh, dude, this one it it's priced the closest of all the fights. Edwards, good wrestling. His last loss was December 2015. So, I mean, this dude hasn't lost in eight years. Lots of close matches, though. I mean, this dude is like the decision king, and that worries me. Uh, but he's back up. He has back-to-back wins versus Kamara Usman. Uh, and Aspinall is calling for the Leon Edwards win. I mean, they're they're both they're they're boys, but still, I right. Aspinall, he knows something. Interim, uh, <laughs> <laughs> interim uh, heavyweight champion, correct? Yes. Okay. Colby Covington, good wrestler, boxing combo. I think he's better on top than Edwards, but he's got two losses to Usman, where Leon Edwards, he's got the wins over him. Looking at Covington, he's got some wins for some big-name guys, but, I mean, a lot of them are past their prime. I, yeah. I, I'll, let, I'll let you hit on it. You take – I don't know. This is a very close one. I'm leaning Leon Edwards maybe by decision again. I'm not sure. Yeah, this is uh, this is hands down the toughest fight I mm-hmm. feel like to predict. Uh, I feel like the odds should have this, and they don't have it too far apart. We got Leon's a minus one forty eight right now. Kobe's a plus one twenty four. So some things I was looking at when I was watching tape on these two guys, Kobe Covington. We know his game plan. He wants to wrestle. Very you know well respected, decorated wrestler. Uh, he used to creatively use his strikes, and I haven't seen that since. I don't know if it's because he's not having to fight guys like uh, that really hold that striking advantage over him anymore, or if it's because he switched gems in 2020 from top team to MMA masters. I don't know why he's kind of underwent this this uh, change. Of he used to be a guy who was able to creatively use his strikes. What I mean by that is here's another thing that we're going to hit on. We're we're sensing some themes here. He was out of place on his punches, on his kicks, on his elbows, on his strikes, but he was able to segue being out of place and turn that into a successful takedown attempt. That's where he has the edge, and it was a positive thing for him instead of being a liability like it is for guys like Tony Ferguson because Colby was able to do things – and once again, all you nerds and virgins in your mom's basement, don't come at me when I say that Kobe Covington was able to use his strikes in a very similar way to Habib Nurmagomedov. Not saying they're the same fighter. I'm just saying like these wild, out-of-place knees that he would charge at guys with that you know have no intention and no meaning of hitting, but just using that forward momentum from like that crazy knee or like that crazy elbow to dive in on like a single or a double leg takedown, you know, run the pipe, finish the takedown, and then start working to either control the position, advance the position, or look for a sub. That's all I'm talking about. And he's kind of lost that in his last few fights to where instead of using like some opportunities like that that would leave him out of place that he's able to segue into transitions to use his wrestling – 
or like uh, when he did start to evolve, it got a little bit more crisper, and he used to have like a good like boxing one-two he'd shoot into like a double or a single leg from. He's just kind of like – he's not at the level of Ben Askren where he's just bending over like blindly diving. He still sets it up with the strikes. He's just not really, I guess, chaining them together as well anymore. So that's a bit of a concern for me that we're not quite Ben Askren levels of uh, fried here. But we're certainly not trending in the right direction. Let's just say that. Uh, he was able to use like a spinning elbow to get a finish on uh, Munir. That was a really good spinning elbow finish that he was able to lock up, I believe, the sub off of. Uh, Max Griffin fight used a lot of strikes. Uh, Brian Barbarena fight used a lot of strikes. He's just not really doing that anymore. And I wonder if like his willingness to trade and striking exchanges was motivated by like his two fights with Kamaru Usman because he mainly kept those fights standing, especially the first fight, because he knew that they were pretty equal in the grappling department. So he, you know, falsely thought he had the edge for whatever reason in the striking, I guess, based off his cardio, which his cardio is the best in the business. And he is able to throw with a lot of volume and pressure. It's just, as the Usman fight demonstrated, he struggles with guys that have power. If they're on equal footing in the grappling department like he was with Usman, it came down to Usman had the power. Usman had, you know, the crisper striking, the better striking, and what he lacked in volume. Every time he hit Kobe, Kobe felt it. I don't really recall an instance of Kobe hitting Usman and Usman feeling it. So that's what leaves me concerned about the Leon Edwards fight, because while Leon Edwards isn't exactly like a massive, big, strong KO artist or like a guy that like you just look at and associate with power like you would Usman, he's very technical. He's very cerebral. He's a sniper, well-placed shots that right. add up over time. His precision, his timing on those shots, that's what leads to the knockout rather than it being like brute force power. So it still gives me a lot of concern especially with Kobe not setting up his wrestling shots and takedowns as much as he used to and just kind of like rushing in on shots. Like it may be one, two shots, and then he's got like, I don't know, a foot of ground he has to cover unprotected. But he didn't have that problem with my uh, Masvidal. Uh, and Masvidal was the guy that finished Ben Askren so fast. That wasn't a problem at all in that fight. Covington had his way with Masvidal which led to Masvidal having to have his way with Kobe outside that Miami steakhouse. Uh, That's the only way he was able to get the dub was outside sucker punching. So it's tough, but I'm going to go with Kobe. I've been a nerd bash 2018 fan for a while now. Uh, I really do like Kobe as a fighter and as a personality, he's up there in my list of favorite fighters. So I'm trying not to be biased because I really can see Leon Catching him with something at some point. Uh, I do think his second fight with Usman, people put a lot of stock in Leon winning that second fight with Usman. I'll be honest. Send me the hate mail. I thought he won that fight because it was in London and it was some home cooking by the judges. Ooh. I'm just going to say. I really do. I watched that fight over and over, and I had some rounds scored for Leon, but overall I gave the nod to Usman. And I'm not a big Usman fan, so for me to say that, saying something, I think in the first fight, 
Leon struggled because it was at altitude and he wasn't prepared like Usman was because Usman's trained at altitude for years. Um, you know, Leon wasn't used to that. But he still – it's pretty telling that he was able to fight through losing. I think it was like the first three rounds before he got that head kick finish in the fourth. It's pretty good that he was able to fight through that adversity and find the finish and set that up based off his observations. So that's why – I'm scared for Kobe Covington, but I think that even though Usman had difficulty keeping Leon down in their two fights, I have to remind myself that, you know, don't fall for MMA math because that's how you end up thinking Demetrius Johnson could beat fucking Fedor Emelianenko. And it's like, I have to remind myself that Kobe's a different wrestler than Usman. Usman has the physicality. Usman has the strength. He also has the cardio because I think he's on some sauce. I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, I think Kobe has the natural cardio, and he's just a different wrestler. He's more of a chain. He's more of a chain guy. If, if takedown attempt one doesn't work, then he goes to two, goes to three, and they're all connected. It's all like a system that he has for running the pipe on guys and getting them down. I think he's going to be a little bit more dedicated to the takedowns than Usman was because Usman felt that he was winning some of the striking exchanges and Kobe's not really going to be as willing to stand with a guy that he would feel like has the clear striking advantage, but definitely not the wrestling and grappling advantage since the days of Michael Bisping, British fighters aren't really known as being strong grapplers and especially against American wrestlers. It's like 1776 all over again. (laughs) They're just getting red, white and blue to death. And, uh, in the end, man, I just think, you know, Twisted Steel and American Sex Appeal, Kobe Covington by unanimous decision, and all you nerds and virgins are going to be seething and raging again with Cheeto dust. <laughs> Leon Edwards, to me, though, is like the most uninspiring champion that we have right now. For sure. And he's already talking about moving up in weight. This would be his second title defense. He's defended it against Usman. This would be his second one. He said if he wins, he wants to go up to 185. Like, I'm so tired of, like, Volkanovski, him, like, all these guys putting, like, together one or two, maybe three defenses of the title and then wanting to move up in weight already. Yeah. Like, you just breathe new life into the division and have all these interesting matchups, like at 185 when Israel lost the title the first time to – uh Pereira, it's like all these interesting matchups. And don't get me wrong, I don't like Adesanya as a person, but as a fighter, I acknowledge he's good. And it's like you already want to move up in weight. It's it's just it's frustrating. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. What do you think for Haymaker? So for Haymaker, I would really like to do something like I think a best Haymaker would probably be. I'd want to see what Patty Pimblet by sub is. I would like that. I would okay. like a Patty Pimblet by sub because I feel like that's something that's probably going to be pretty likely at this stage of the game. If Bobby Green can pull off a sub of Tony Ferguson, a guy not known for his grappling at all, just being a weird striker, I definitely like Patty because I've also had to remind myself that Patty, until his UFC run, actually was primarily known as like a good grappler mm-hmm. and a guy who wanted to use his jiu-jitsu and use his judo and things like that. All right, Pim Daddy. Oh, Pim Daddy. That's a lot for me to say that, man, because 
against you know, against Ferguson too. I'm shocked. I I mean Tony Ferguson, like I said, I like the guy, but every you know every Not now the and personal. then you just see yeah you just see your heroes, man. You just see your heroes go down the toilet. Yeah, yeah. It's only business. Bobby, you got anything else before we get out of here? Oh, uh, let's see. Just really looking excited, uh, looking forward and excited to the fights. Uh, I am going to be on Twitter soon, uh, probably this weekend. I'm going to be making a Twitter, so stay on the lookout for a Bullshito Bobby Twitter. Uh, going to be uh, shit posting a lot on there. Uh, just general <laughs> MMA commentary, jokes, observations about MMA and sports betting community. Follow along for that. I'll let everybody know once it's set up. Uh, thanks to everybody for watching, liking, subscribing. This is going to be a big card, big moment. Uh, last UFC card of the year, huge card. Hopefully, it stays intact, top to uh, excuse me, top to bottom. And just thanks, thanks to everybody for supporting. And uh, we're going to keep growing this, and we're going to keep rolling, and we can't do it without you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Make sure you guys follow Bobby on Twitter before he gets banned, which will he'll last maybe three weeks. Maybe if that, <laughs> especially once I start coming at fighters and, you know, coming at Bellator and PFL merger with the hate speech, Scott Coker's probably going to make me disappear like uh, JFK. <laughs> yeah. Elon Musk, you're about to be one of his next experiments, my friend. Exactly. Let's see how, let's see how really dedicated to the first amendment free speech you are, buddy. We're going to find out in the MMA community. Ian Gary, Ian Gary, your wife's not going to be very happy with me, buddy. You're going to be sleeping on the couch again. Oh, wait, you already do. <laughs> got to make room for her boyfriend. Come on now. Boyfriend's in the bed, buddy. He's already got him on that all-natural vegan diet. <laughs> well, thank you guys for watching. Make sure you guys sub, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace, guys. Peace. You better start listening to the Better in Green podcast. You will not regret it. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And hey, I'm Dean Blandino. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Better in Green, hey. To Better in Green, hey. To Better in Green, hey. Listen in and cash out. That's what it's all about. Come on, let's make cash now. We always on spot and we cover old spot from the bottom to the top, hey. Shout out to Ethan, shout out to Wyatt, shout out to Ben. Welcome, welcome to our podcast. Better win green.